Well, good morning once again. Uh, if I missed you earlier, my name's Wayne. I'm the pastor here at DCC, and I'm excited to engage today. Last week, coming out of Easter, we began a conversation walking through the letter, what we, we call Colossians, and what we're looking at is God's story in us. And you were invited to engage with us in a story that God is pursuing in your own life and his church family here and in this city that we love. And so we're going to continue that today. Uh, have, you ever, um, have you ever found like yourself to be in an organization or anything where there's, there's really tough qualifications to be part of it and to belong or to keep your status. Many of you uh, just being this close to lower Manhattan or just Manhattan in general, like are in finance. And uh, man, there's, you guys you know, have to work through a lot of qualifications and there's all these certifications that you have to kind of keep working up to. And some of those tests that you have to take are super hard. I've, you know, for over the many years I've walked through, many, many of you are like, we're getting ready for that. And like, and then there's more. You just kind of work to keep those qualifications or the certifications, especially in the IT world, and you know, get getting those letters next to your name, all those different things to help you take steps. But there's also like weird stuff. Um, I've, I've in researching this, I found there's like uh, a, a a group, a club for people who've who've actually launched them, have to launch themselves out of airplanes when with a parachute uh, because a plane crashed. There's a whole group for that. It's a, that's an interesting qualification. Um, but then there's like the funny, well-known ones, like the, probably the most uh, infamous is always the HOA. Uh, you know, in the suburbs, the, you know, you've got the, the homeowners associations. And, uh, you know, and I looked at these are real rules that people have lost houses to. So uh, in one place, a pet's feet cannot touch the common areas. And like a lot, a lot, apparently a lot of them have size limits on the, on the pets. Could not, and so in Long Beach, California, an elderly, I mean, people are heartless, ruthless. An elderly woman, it was like a $25 fee every time. She racked up hundreds of dollars in fees, and she was eventually forced to move over her cocker spaniel or whatever it was. Well, it was a, not a cocker, I think it was a, like a, a tiny dog walking on the, on the comma anyway. So um, uh, another man, a plane crashed into his house. He decided to rebuild. He lost his wife and son, and they went after him because his roof shingles didn't match, and he rebuilt his home. Man, people are like, and there's one guy had too many rose bushes. He exceeded the limit, and he fought the HOA on this. They went to court, and he lost. <laughs> Eventually, he had to pay everybody's fees, so he, he foreclosed on his house over too many rose bushes. And then the, another interesting one was in New York City somewhere, some apartment building, uh, you had to be an on-the-verge artist to live there. And there's a group of panel that decided how on the verge you were. Uh, it did not include, you could not wear stilettos, that was not allowed, that was not considered on the verge. Uh, so you could not be annoying, but you also had to be on the verge. So that was... Uh, and somebody is deciding that, how close to the edge or whatever they define that as. And so basically, in these weird situations, you're kind of asking the questions, am I okay? That's really what this is, is this is what it means to be okay. And, and really, that's kind of how life is in all kinds of areas. We're wondering, am I okay here and you know as we look at <laughs> as I transition God's story with us you know that's really 
what we're asking. Uh, and I wanted to help us lean in. And so last week I talked about how when it comes to you know, we, coming out of the resurrection, we see this God's story, like his people become alive. And you see a movement. And you see Jesus' words begin to come true. He says that, you know, I'm, my church is just going is, is is to thrive and, and the gates of hell will not come against it, will not overcome it. And it's true, we see this happening. And we see not buildings being established, but, but a groups of people, gatherings, and they just keep happening despite whatever opposition happened, being put in jail, being killed, being persecuted, and they experienced all these types of things. There was just a life because they have found life. They have found a risen Savior. They found that, that God does exist. We are made to be eternal. We have found eternal life. We've been made right with God. We've been forgiven by Him. And this story took off. And that's what we want to engage in here in this city is this life that we found in Christ. Because we believe that we only find life, eternal life, through Him. And you're invited to engage that story and to find that out here, but also to live that out. He's not just come just to redeem us or to forgive us and save us, but He's come to, to work this story in us for us to experience life and purpose in Him. And so it brings us into a journey when we follow Christ. And that is exciting. And so, yeah, so we say, yeah, let's go. Let's engage this. And then you start living your real life. <laughs> you start engaging your own desires. And you think about what you want or what makes you happy. And sometimes we look at the teachings of Christ or following him. We're like, ah, maybe, maybe I just need to think about this a little bit more. And that feeling is worth considering. It's, it's important to lean into that. Because really, from the beginning, we've doubted God's goodness. Does he really want my best in mind? And we've talked about this before. Like, we think God so much about, through, you know, towards God so much through a lens of rules. Because, like, he started his journey with his people through the Ten Commandments. So we think there's just a list, and that's what it means to follow God. But what we see, what Christ has shown us, he's invited us into a relationship, into a journey. And it's much different. He's wanting to bring us towards life, what will really make us happy, but we don't always trust that. So eventually, when you follow him, you will wrestle with this. You should. There should be a struggle where you were like, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I really believe this and, and you'll struggle with the things that he asks you to do, the teaching, because it eventually goes against culture and what everybody else and what things around us are saying are going to make us happy and make us be okay. And so when I engaged our, our journey last week, our story last week, I started with this, this book, of, it's called the book, it's really a letter to a church in, in the city of Colossae. This is about like 20, 30 years uh, after Jesus' resurrection. What's fascinating is these letters, if you ever try to disprove the resurrection of Christ, uh, these letters make it incredibly hard because you see a church that's alive really quickly. And we see this, this story of Christ resonating in their hearts. And so we, we, we see this story where someone started a church. They found Christ in the nearby city of Ephesus. Paul had started a church there. We, we, call, we call him the Apostle Paul. And then this guy named Ephesus 
found Christ there, eventually goes back to where he's from in Colossae, and the whole church, not a building, but a gathering of people just begins to happen. He begins to share what he's found, this life he has in Christ, and others begin to believe in him, and that begins to flourish. And so they eventually run into challenges, and Ephesus has gone to Paul, and he's talking with him. He's like, this is the challenges this church family is experiencing. And the people are essentially coming into their lives and saying, no, no, you, you've got to do this to be okay with God. And you've got to follow these steps and do all these things. And so then this story begins to be personal to them. And so today, last week, there's a story of this, this church family that's starting, and that's what we're all invited into. But that ultimately impacts your personal story. You will eventually make a decision for yourself towards Christ. And Paul is leaning into that. He continues with them. And so this, he's writing to them, encouraging them. And that was one of the points last week is we're never alone when we pursue Christ's story. He always will lead you to have people around you support you in your life. It's amazing to see him support this story. We're never alone. And so here he is leaning in. This is found in Colossians 2. He says, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea, which is a city nearby. He says, and for many other believers who have never met me personally, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him, in Christ, lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And such a, a beautiful statement. He's like, in Christ lies everything that you want. And, and it's kind of like this upside-down kingdom where in the world we live, everybody's searching for power or for, for knowledge. And in their time, there was, a, there was a Jewish believers that just wanted to see the power of God and, and, the, and the message of the cross for them. When Jesus dying seemed like the weakness, seemed God being weak. His resurrection disproved that. And, and then the Greek culture of the time, they were all about all their knowledge. And, and so the knowledge of God to them seemed like foolishness. And Paul, in another letter, talks about the weakness of God and the, the quote-unquote foolishness of God is wiser than any of their knowledge and more powerful. And, and he just says, he says, in him lie all hidden all the treasures of wisdom and understanding. And when we experience and find that in Christ, it's, it's life-giving. And he says, when you experience challenges, I want to point you towards him. And so that's what he says. And the very next thing he says in verse 4, he says, I'm telling you this so you won't be deceived. There were people coming in, trying to deceive them and pull them away for their own selfless reasons. So Ephraim had come to Paul and says, this is what the challenges that we are facing. People are coming to us and pulling us away, saying, you've got to do this, this, and this, and this to be okay. And this is a, that's a powerful pull. And people who seem to have a lot of knowledge are able to confidently kind of assert things and say, no, you know, you can't just depend upon Christ. No, you've got to take this step. And, and it's always been like that with religion. They, they were trying to say, you know, you know, do these things and do this so you can be okay. And we just, we, sometimes we're drawn to that. We feel good about a ritual that we do. 
And it's powerful pull when people come into your lives like this. Like it or not, you and I are heavily swayed by those who are around us. The people in our lives. They have tremendous influence. The people that are not in your lives. The people that that are in front of you, ahead of your corporation, or the person who's killing it in your field, the top of whatever that is. In social media, all these different things. And and looking into this, there's a wealth of information about influence. It's been studied so much, and it still is. People are all, if you're in marketing, you'll just naturally run into statistics on influence because that's really what it's all about, is influence. And I found this, this is interesting, this is from a professor at Cornell University. Her name is Vanessa Bonds, Bones. And she, in talking about this subject, Ask this question, it's, it's fascinating. She goes, why, why do we agree to do things we don't want to do? It's a fascinating question because it, it helps you understand ourselves. And she's like, there are various theories. It's just, you know, there's lots of things. She says, but one explanation is that we are group-oriented. And this next statement is fascinating. She says, it is ingrained in us not to sever relationships. I love it. It's ingrained in us. We are, it's ingrained for us to be relational. Whether you're extroverted, introverted, we all are made for relationship. She says there's also the theory of face work, as she calls it. She says where everyone is saving face for each other. We don't want to call someone out. If someone is asking us to do something, then the implication is that they feel it's okay to ask this. And if we say no... We're suggesting there's something wrong with what they're asking. <laughs> That's fascinating when you think about it in that, that way, isn't it? I, I struggle saying no. Uh, I've learned that in my in personality profiles and myself. Like, I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. Like, and so then I get, you know, I take on too many things. So. <laughs> And this is, you know, in social media, they're called influencers for a reason, right? Like, it's just blatantly out there. I'm a, I, and people say it, I want to be a social media influencer. Like, that is what they're called that for a reason. We are heavily impacted. And there's like an unending list of statistics. These, these three here are like a couple, a couple years old, so it'd be interesting to see what it is now, but... But it's like says 70% of teens trust influencers more than traditional celebrities. Uh, it says 80% of, 86% of women use social media for purchasing advice. That's a really high percentage. And in 2020, TikTok created, and I don't know what this is now, but, but created a $1 billion creator fund to nurture influencers. And I know that made headlines, and I don't know what, how, you know, maybe it's like doubling down even now, but over like a period of three years or so. And they just were funding because there's so much money that goes into that, right? And we now have college millionaires. We now have, you know, teenage millionaires over because of how powerful influence is. So we get it. We see it. And you could just be in in this city for one year, and you can know that. You're, like, on a temporary assignment, and you know, like, the relationships you're in. And and one year from now, I'm going to move, and we're not going to talk again. And you can know that absolutely. 
and you will still be influenced by the people that are around you and the actions of your life will change or you'll think about it or feel pressure to do something because of the power of those closest around us. Even if you think you know that, like, I don't need to be worried about them, but you still will. There's pressure of parents at your school. You've got children and how to live your lives or what you do or, you know, like it just is it's always there. And coworkers, their lifestyle, the clothing that they have or vacations that we see others take or seem to take. Now, <laughs> now influence isn't a bad thing. That's not what I'm trying to say. It, it can be used for good and bad, and we can mean it for good, and it will turn out bad. Like, it's just interesting. Like, it's just a thing. Like, it just show. I just want to show us how much influence plays a part of our lives. It's always going to be there, and in fact, we're made for that. We're made that way. You and I are made for relationship. And so then, it's about wisdom. And Paul is so incredible because he's, in their specific circumstance, we can look at the principles in which he's leading them to and help them see what is real, what really makes us happy, what really fulfills us and what matters most. And so for us, the question then needs to be about what does the influencer want? And taking the opportunity and this is what Paul understood and began to engage with his church in Colossae. So he starts with his great love and concern for them, his intentions, what he wants for them. He says, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you. That's what we just read. And like he wasn't in it for selfish reasons. They were experiencing people who were coming in and, and boasting and having all these great things to say, but they wanted money and they wanted they wanted power, they wanted control. And Paul was the opposite, where he was like, he was not gaining from life, he was not getting money. In fact, he was losing it. In doing this, he was being arrested for his faith. He was being put in prison. Like he it was obvious that he was not in this for himself, but for others. And he he's like, I care deeply about you, and they would have known this. His desire for them is to be encouraged to find life, to have full confidence in Christ. And because in what, he, what we just read, he says, in him, in Christ's life, all the treasure, a treasure which is wisdom and knowledge. And why is he writing to them? He says, he says so you won't be deceived. He eventually points them to the outward actions of what they were having them do and what they felt. He talks about how their attention is swayed. They're trying to pull them away from what really matters. He says in, in, in 2A, and I'm not going to put all these up there, but he says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies. He's like, they're trying to pull you astray. You, you are captivated by emptiness. He says, he says they're leading you to be towards condemnation. He says, don't let anyone condemn you. They were being condemned for what they did. He says, do you see this? Because that's not loving. That's not God. He's, he talks about how they were, they were prideful. Excuse me. He says, don't let anybody condemn you for you know, the things that you do or, or don't do. Whatever. He, says, he says, for their sinful minds have made them 
crowd. He points them to the outward actions of what they're causing them to feel and, 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 and do, and then who they are. He says, do you see how prideful they are? He points out the emptiness. He says, I just, I just said that, don't capture with empty-sounding philosophies. He's not condemning philosophies. Paul is an incredible philosopher, very smart. But he's like, this is empty. He goes, do you see how empty this is? It's just a bunch of words. They were unfulfilled. He says, he says, they are asking you to do things that eventually deteriorate. Like it doesn't last and try to, try to make their, you know, beat up their bodies. And I'll read this in just a little bit. And, and, and be heavily devoted and all these things. It's like this stuff just deteriorates over time. And so many things that you and I chase are actually things that don't last. And it's brilliant what Paul is doing. It's brilliant. He points them to the motivations of those who are speaking, of those who have influence, and the outcomes. The motivations and outcomes. And I just wanted to set this all up for us to see and understand because this is how we need to experience God's wisdom. And I want to point you, just as Paul is doing to them in our world, in our lives now, to Christ, who is the only one who can fulfill us. He was like, what are your motivations and what are the outcomes? That's what he's pointing them to. My very first job in New York City when I was interviewing to come here was with a church in Manhattan, which I did get the job, and, it, and that's what put me here in Jersey City. They had a, at the time, they had a satellite location here that met at the mall. We would watch the video from the week before, and I helped do music and run this location. That, this is 15 years ago or more. Anyway, I'm interviewing, and, and they want to know what my motivation is. And so I remember being asked by the person who was interviewing, they were like, if you don't get this job, what are you going to do? And they were like, they wanted to know, why do I want, is this job for you just to get to the city? Because like, that's a total city type of thing. Like, what's your motivation? Are you just enamored with the city? And, you know, I did want to be here. I felt called to be in. I want to be. This, the Northeast is where I w- was really where home wanted to be for me. But they're like, are you using us as like a stepping stone or a tool? Like, are, you know, what is your motivation? And I said to them out loud, I was like, if you don't hire me, I will make my way here no matter what. I'll be here. And it was true, but they didn't know that. And I said that out loud, and I. And I backed it up. Like I, they, you know, a couple years later, the f- economy crashed here, and they had to f- they had to pull back their operations and let staff go. And I was let go. And my wife and I, we stayed. We found a way. And the economy was tough. And this is where we wanted to be. And so, what's interesting is, is I outlasted the person who asked me the question. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I was right. So. It's a great question because they want to know, what, what's your motivation? So you should ask, and this is a wisdom question. You should ask, what are the motives of the people in my life? That's the first question. We can put this up on the screen. What are the motives of the people in my life? Now, you could be judgmental with this and take a totally a negative turn, but I wanted you to pursue it from wisdom. And you, in fact, you, could re- you could replace people with influencers because they're not necessarily in your life, but they're people that influence you. What are the motivations? 
It's a wisdom approach, not judgmental. Be careful, right? Because I mean, ultimately, everybody's got a selfish motive. At some point, somebody is engaging you. They need to feed themselves. You know, they need to pay rent and all these different things. But is there a genuine motivation? What is that? It's wise to understand and just look at it because we're so influenced by others. You unconsciously follow down the stream, and it's not always good. We need to know that we make unconscious decisions because of how powerful relationships are. And we create these Frankenstein people. And so you see one person that's incredible with being in shape and taking care of their body and nutrition. You see this other person that's phenomenal in their career. And this person is put together. They have incredible sense of style. This person is great at working out. This person is the top of their industry. And you just kind of feel like you've got to be all of that. And it feels like all of them are all of these things. We combine them, and they look at you the same way. You're something that you bring to the table. And we, I call it this, this Frankenstein person that doesn't really exist. And the people on social media we know are not fully like that. They're all Photoshopping stuff out. And like we just can't live up to that. It doesn't exist. And it's just comparison. And we have to be careful. What is their motivation? We're chasing the invisible monster of comparison. So just be wise. Just look at them. And then, what are the outcomes displayed in my own life? That's the second question. Some good intentions can still lead you to bad outcomes. And we're not trying to be perfect, okay? Like, this is not Paul's goal. But he's wanting us to see what's real and what really makes you full what really brings life to us. You want to be happy. And you're pursuing a bunch of stuff and you're doing all these things. Are you really happy? You want your life to go well. You want everything to work out. I do. I want things to work out. Is, is it working out? Is that happening? And I'm not saying that you pursue Christ and Everything works out because that's, you know, I'm not actually going there. You pursue luxury and convenience. We live in an area where there's so much that brings to us. We, we, we have lots of good food. We have great lattes at our fingertips. Like my whole, th- I, I've, I really like a good de- afternoon decaf oat milk latte. I, I don't, I'm like... It's like, oh, man, I can just, I can drink those all afternoon because it's decaf. And, you know, like, I don't know what the deal is, but, like, that's this new thing for me, and I'll move on to something else. But, you know, we have all this great comfort and luxury, and, like, are, but, but are you still anxious, fearful, worried? I think it's interesting because... Because we're kind of we're kind of dumbfounded. We're dumbfounded with all the stuff that we have. I'm trying to find this. Uh, we're dumbfounded by all the conveniences that we have in our life. Because as a culture, we see how advanced we've become. 
like we're really good at the amenities that we have and getting delivery. Like the pandemic actually helped us work out a lot of different systems. And then like, you know, it's amazing how accessible luxury can be to us and to suddenly have at our fingertips the, all this access and we can manipulate money and we can code it. We've, we've found ways to get better at managing our debt and we can raise money, which seems to be like out of nowhere and develop something and maybe cash out. Or crash Silicon Valley Bank, either one, I don't know. You know, but like we've just gotten so good at these different things. And maybe some of this is fulfilled what our parents are striving to get. We can make more money. We can produce great content and really good shows. We've become great at storytelling and captivating content. And we can, we can show off and get famous so much faster than we could before. <laughs> We're even doing that better, you know, like... But we're dumbfounded, I think, at the same time. We're confused because it's, it's, not, it's still not enough. We're not quite happy, are we? In fact, we seem to not be getting along as much. And we see all these trends happening. We're watching it that, like, this is the opposite. And despite our attempts to love one another, we're experiencing more hate or it seems to be that way. And we you can still hit these great vacations and it's not quite filling you up. Or you're not able to like, you see all this happening in front of you and you're like, I can't do all this. I can't measure up. I can't kill it on social media like these others or these, these get all the likes or get the body or get the relationships. Our circumstances improved, but our fullness did not. what's interesting is we think we're gaining our freedom. We say to God, I don't think you want me to be happy. I'm going to do these things. But we think we're gaining our freedom by walking away from what God wants from us. But we're actually binding ourselves up because we're chasing appetites. We're chasing desires that don't really last. And none of these things are wrong in themselves. The church has become known right for this condemning it. But that's not what it is. It's like it's asking the question, does this fill you up? Are people calling you? Are they saying you're going to be okay? And are you okay? And so Paul is pointing them to this. And so that's why Christ is so important to us and what we proclaim here and what you're invited into. And Paul brings them to the only one who can really do it. And so he says this. This is found in Colossians 2, verses 8. He says, he says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies or high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. He says, in Christ lies all the fullness of God. And that's what you want, is the fullness of God. You want to experience all of that. It's, that's the one thing that is in you, deep down inside, is to experience Him in every way. And a lot of the gifts He's given us, these things that we do enjoy, are gifts from Him that show that He does love us. God really loves us. We sing that today. But all the things that we chase to become our fullness don't really feel. So he says that in, in, in verse 217, he says, all these things are shadows of what is to come. They are glimpses of the reality. 
And I love this. He says, Christ is that reality. He is all that fullness. He's the one that made us to experience relationships. He's the one that made us for sex. He's given us great food and the ability to understand the deepness of that and all the, the palates and the economics and all these different things. He's like, Christ himself is that reality. And so he calls them. He's like, hey, keep pursuing him. So he says this. He says, just as Christ as you have said to Christ Jesus, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots go down into him. I love this imagery. We go down, we watch these high rises go down, 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 and then they are built up so fast. He says, let your roots go down into Christ and let your lives be built on him. That's a completely different foundation. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. That's an outcome. Motives and outcomes. The outcome that we long for to walk into tomorrow and the stress. Man, I'm so thankful for this day. I dare you to walk into your first meeting and say that out loud, right? Like you are overflowed with that. That's what Paul says is the outcome of pursuing Christ, and you should consider that. I'm not saying my life is all like roses, rose bushes everywhere. Apparently, you can't have too many. But I'm saying, like, it's, it's definitely a challenge. Jesus said, Jesus said to us, if you believe in me, in this world, you will have trouble, and that's absolutely true. But I can still be thankful in trouble because of what Christ has brought to me. And I need to lean into more, the more trouble that I have, because I need his strength. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, the outcome is your faith will grow. You'll be overflow with thankfulness. Overflow. That leads us with, to contentment and gratitude. And that's the beauty of Christ. That's why we sing what we do and celebrate that. And are, are you really experiencing that? He was writing to a people who were troubled. Paul would write letters to people who were actually experiencing physical harm and death and persecution. And they were, it's been written in history books how peaceful Christians were when they were being killed in the Roman arena. And they were baffled by it. It was so different. They were filled up with Christ. Paul goes on to say, and we'll get into this more next week, but he says, let the message about Christ, this is found in Colossians 3, listen, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. We live in a world where we're consumed with being rich. And even if you condemn somebody who's really rich, you still probably want to be rich. <laughs> like we want, like we want these, in a world that's consumed with like, I love, you know, in the scriptures, richness is defined as something different. It's like, he says, let the message about Christ in all its richness. He's not talking about money. He's talking about being filled up. Fill your lives. This is what I love about this letter of the Colossians. It's, it's centered on the fullness of Christ. 
And how do we do that? He says, teach and counsel each other. And this begins to go into the life of our family here. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives. We need one another. He says, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. It's a natural overflow of our hearts. It's why we love to worship and sing together. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. That's why we say in Jesus' name, because it is through him, because of him, that we have access to God. So make no mistake about it. Christ is our answer, and that's what we proclaim here. That's why we, call it, we are called Christians. It's a Christ follower. He is our Lord. He is our boss. He is our source of, of truth. And when we, and you think about your life and what fills you up, as Christ followers, we proclaim that, that I am not the answer. You are not the answer. That's a little against culture. <laughs> Getting what you want won't be the answer. Maybe you've gotten what you want and you've experienced that. No matter your circumstances, He is the fullness we seek. So today, as we end, Christ follower, what are the challenges you face? What are your struggles? What are you anxious about? What do you wake up and start thinking about and wish you could set it down? You're like, how can you fill your life with Christ? Remember, go back to him. Fill, fill your life with him. Pursue him. Seek his face. Read scripture. Read his words. Read these letters about him. Engage in his family so that we can teach and counsel one another. It's one of the reasons we love to do dinner groups and start dinner groups, and you're invited into that. We can help you start one on your own if you would like, to grab a couple of the friends. Be in community to teach and counsel one another. It's why we love to serve together on Sunday. We're family together. It's why we love this city. You are invited into this. How can you fill your life with Christ? And for those of you pursuing God, I hope this is a safe place for you to come and ask your questions of, of Him. You are invited to, ask, to seek Him out. Is He really Son of God? Does God exist? And if that's true, then... Why, like, and then he calls us to faith. We must believe in him. That's why we, we believe in him and then we are baptized. It's, baptism is the first step of obedience we take when we follow Christ. We start our relationship with God saying, I will follow and believe and obey you. Let's engage the fullness of God. And then... You enjoy the things of life in a much different way as you stand on a rooted foundation. These things that we do are not there to give us our meaning, but they, we enjoy the goodness that God has made them for. It's, it's, a different, it's, it's amazing. So let's experience that. All right, let me pray for us and we'll be done. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and your pursuit of us. I pray today that we would be reminded of these words. And when our hearts want to tell us differently, 
that we would take steps of faith and obedience towards you. I pray that we would fill our lives with your word and begin to live in obedience to what you've called us and experience the gratitude and thankfulness that comes from that. I pray for our hearts today. I know that we are anxious. I know that we are troubled. I know that it's not always fun to, to, to read the news, and we don't have answers, God, and we need you in that. I pray that our hearts wouldn't be troubled because you have overcome the world. Only you have, and we need you. Thank you for these words, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.